Hello everyone. Superheroes. A work of fiction or do they actually exist? Well let's discuss this in today's podcast and before we begin I need to say a big thank you to Lottie, my year 13 biology A-level student, for conducting the research and providing the content for this podcast. DC and Marvel Comics, just for example, have built a multi-billion pound empire out of their superhuman creations. Their characters demonstrate monumental abilities and highly impressive and very much desirable skills. And what I'd like to consider is whether these marvels, excuse the pun, hold any scientific truth or accuracy to them. In today's world where gene sequencing and editing is becoming mainstream technology, how possible is it to create an organism with these kinds of abilities? Do people already exist with them, to perhaps to a lesser extent? And do these unique creations have any underlying biological basis to explain how their powers can manifest themselves? Superheroes tend to have these unique mutations due to alterations and modifications in their brains. Neurobiologist Ricardo Gil da Costa, a science advisor for Marvel, works on ensuring that the characters and their powers are both realistic and entertaining in equal measure. Okay, so when I use the word realistic, you need to bear with me a little here. For example, the Hulk displays the extraordinary ability of metamorphosis. It's a biological process involving a relatively abrupt change in the animal's body structure through cell growth and differentiation. Metamorphosis is a complete life cycle from larva to adult for many creatures. Now, yes, technically, by science, we humans do not go through metamorphosis, like amphibians and insects go through. But we do have very similar life stages. So this whole change allows the Hulk to excel in combat and become virtually indestructible. Jill da Costa proposed that during the Hulk's transition from a 58 kilogram man into a 470 odd kilogram green giant, his brain would undergo a series of alterations. These capabilities would be due to a 20% growth roughly in his amygdala and a 30% reduction in the prefrontal cortex. The amygdala is responsible for emotions and memory formation. This allows Hulk to channel and intensify his rage, affording him the opportunity to partake in almost impossible battles and still remain unfazed or unharmed. The prefrontal cortex controls rational reflecting and decision making. It allows Hulk to charge into a battle with a lower level of fear, as he hasn't processed the full extent of danger present, and so can again face a large military challenge and be able to overcome overcome it successfully. Now additionally, the character is known for his somewhat restricted language and animalistic mannerisms. Hulk Smash, for example. Now, a 25% reduction in the size of his planum temporale would cause the Hulk to have a reduced blood flow to those regions of the brain associated with speech. So his catchphrase, Hulk Smash, would not only accurately reflect his true purpose and desire, I guess, but his actual biological capability. 
The character is able to physically cover great distances and at a high speed and is able to do so with extensive accuracy. That's why Hulk says the line, Hulk is going now, don't try to follow. I mean, it makes sense. Who, who is likely to be able to? To be able to actually do this, Hulk would need to undergo a 15% growth in the size of his visual cortex and about a 50% growth in his cerebellum. The visual cortex is the region of the brain that receives, integrates and processes visual information that is relayed from the retina and the cerebellum is imperative for motor control, balance, coordination and timing which helps to give his character the calculation, spatial processing and precision that he needs to be able to land accurately. Let's for a moment consider another fan favourite, Captain America whose abilities do not include a full metamorphosis, but are more of an extension and enhancement, I guess you could say, of one's natural human capabilities. Captain America obtained his powers, as such, by being injected with a serum, which altered the chemical makeup and physical attributes of his brain, and also of his body. And this enables him to have superior hand-eye coordination, reflexes, motor speed, and muscle response, allowing him to excel at hand-to-hand -hand combat, but also it gives him the ability to retain large amounts of information easily. Jill DaCosta, the science advisor, proposed that these abilities would be the effects of increased neural activities between the visual cortex and the premotor and motor areas. The premotor and motor areas are responsible for generating neural impulses that control the execution of movement, preparing the body's muscles for the exact movements that it will make. Now this would increase his metabolic activities and the rate of muscle tissue production so that he could obtain higher levels of, if you like, strength and force against opponents, furthering his combat abilities. But due to these neurological and physical modifications, what we see is that these characters have been able to develop superior attributes and capabilities that may not be fully beyond our reach. If we were able to replicate these alterations, the possibilities of these effects could really be endless. I mean, some people are born with or inherit certain genetic or neuro neurological adaptations, allowing them to have extraordinary capabilities. Now, one, one such example, I mean, not capabilities like Captain America, but one such example is a condition called um, hyperthymesia. It's the ability to remember the minutiae of every single day even down to the weather on a particular day 25 years ago, or even the clothes that they might have been wearing that day. Now, usually, to recall memories, we need to use a conscious effort, and the event must, as research suggests, have some sort of personal significance to us. But with this condition, people can... It almost allows people to see depictions of the days in their heads with no conscious effort and recall events that may not hold that much personal significance to them. MRI, magnetic resonance imaging scans, have actually shown that people with these abilities have a considerable high activity in their occipital lobe, which is responsible for processing visual information, and more so than other people. Therefore, this condition illustrates that the modifications present in superheroes may not be as far-fetched as we had previously thought. Some, I'm using this term loosely, superpowers, I guess you could say, could even be learnt. For example, echolocation, 
Some people who are blind learn this technique and are able to sense where objects are around them by detecting how sound bounces off them. I mean, this skill has been used, uh, and it is used naturally by some animals, such as bats and dolphins, and it has been shown that it can be used by humans. Ben Underwood, who suffers from blindness, learned how to use echolocation so that he would be able to play football, basketball and skateboard all without using his eyes. This is a real-life famous case study that illustrates our potential to utilise the information and materials around us in the world to naturally enhance our own human capabilities. Additionally, people have been able to regulate their own body temperature by using a certain breathing technique called the Tumo Mediation. Wim Hof, who's also known uh, in circles as the Iceman, was able to climb Mount Everest wearing only shorts and trainers by adopting this unusual breathing technique to endure the harsh climates while still maintaining a safe and appropriate body temperature. Is this an indication perhaps that we do indeed have the capabilities to develop and master our own inherent skills and talents? Although having said that, I'm not overly keen on just wearing a pair of shorts to see if I can improve my thermoregulation. Perhaps those listening might feel a bit differently, though. Another example of a condition uh, that I want to talk about is synesthesia. This causes people to experience multiple senses simultaneously. So someone with this condition may see the letter B and concurrently uh, see colours of red and taste a certain flavour of ice cream, for example. So whilst thinking about that particular letter, it might have connotations of colour and flavours and and the like. Now that's due to higher neuronal uh, connectivity between places in this somatosensory cortex and it causes information to, well, in a sort of more general manner, get mixed up if you like, and senses begin to intertwine. Now this is perhaps closely related to what Captain America experiences because he has increased neural activity, allowing him to process information more rapidly than a regular person which is similar to people with synesthesia, as they are processing great quantities of neural information and can't really sort through it in a conditioned manner. I think what we can confidently say is that there is a significant gap between the extent of these conditions in our world today and the abilities present in the superhero comics. But this gap, though, has prompted research into seeing how people's brain compilations, if you like, differ between certain individuals so that scientists can see how different modifications may improve or alter our neurological capacity. Scientists know that we're only able to access about 10% of our brain capacity. So what we need, therefore, is a way to unlock it, a way to unlock the brain's full potential. Maybe brain-machine interfaces are the way forward. These innovations are much more comparable, rather than Captain America and Hulk, to what Iron Man in the comic book universe utilises because he uses a brain-computer interface that converts his brain signals into physical movements and actions. The technology that's used by Iron Man is highly complex and it's far more advanced though than the technology that we utilise today. In fact, it's interesting, a recent exhibit um, has gone on display at various locations around the world and it's called the Avengers Station Exhibition. And it's designed to basically provide an experience for people comparable to that in the films. Obviously, there's the usual dressing up in outfits and the merchandise stalls. 
But what's fascinating is that the scientists were able to produce a novel electroencephalograph brain-computer interface. I know that's quite a mouthful. But this electroencephalograph brain-computer interface was powered by low-voltage electrical activity and it was enabling brain cells to communicate with one another. The machine was able to recalibrate to adapt to different individuals' brain signals and it allowed participants to play games and see a graph produced by their own neural activities in real time. These brain-machine interfaces would be achieved by synthesising neural implants, which would be implanted onto the surface of our brains, or even deep within specific sections inside our brain, depending on the purpose and what they, we wanted to use them for. Neural implants function by gathering information from one area of the brain and then delivering this to an alternate region while bypassing possibly damaged tissue, as seen within uh, disabled people. Neural implants or prosthetics are a class of device that communicate with the nervous system. An electronics package in each device activates an array of tiny electrodes that interfere directly with healthy neurons in the body. And that idea was supported by research from Friedlander uh, in 2012, I believe. Now, this idea has already been applied to help treat conditions like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and deafness. And these devices are used by people with these conditions in everyday life. Brain stimulators have been implanted in more than 30,000 people suffering from Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders. Additionally, people with paralysis have been able to regain movement in certain parts of their bodies. The implants are able to synthesise connections between the nervous system and the motor cortex, and they're able to reactivate transmissions to enable muscle contraction within these patients. Now, the successful trial studies and real-life applications further the probability of them being used for some form of recreational activity, you could argue. These neural implants may be able to increase the range of our senses, enhance our memory, enable telepathic communication and make knowledge even downloadable. Technology innovators such as Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Elon Musk have each invested in brain-computer interfaces to try and bring these into everyday use. Musk aims to improve human cognition to compete with the likes of artificial intelligence. The Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA for short, is in a position to run trials on new brain-machine interfaces, which have closed-loop mood control chips that are linked to artificial intelligence. These things are capable of delivering an electrical impulse to a soldier's brain in an attempt to regulate their mood. Now, if you just think, this technology could be used to create a fully efficient and compliant army is quite a scary thought or in different ways could be used to just help treat mood disorders such as depression or bipolar disorder the former has certainly been seen in movies so could really bringing our favorite films to life work like that i mean this whole area of study poses a number of ethical questions who gets to use the technology would finances lead to inequalities in access would it be used in the original intended manner could there be negative side effects that we haven't fully explored or researched yet? There are 100 billion neurons in the brain, each of them with about 500 trillion or so connections. Due to the expansive nature of our brains, the possibilities of these new designs could be quite exhaustive. But without a proper understanding or grasp of the basics of our neurological capacity, 
such development may have to be halted. So what does all of this mean? Are we likely to see people flying like Iron Man over the streets anytime soon, or green giants smashing their way from one place to another? Perhaps not. Brain-machine interfaces, though, do provide some interesting opportunities. But when we bring it back to the fundamental biological concepts, we're not going to be able to undergo metamorphosis anytime soon. We're not likely to be able to teleport ourselves or bend time and space. But we absolutely do know that genetic variants in the world do exist. Savant syndrome is a condition in which someone with significant mental disabilities demonstrates certain abilities far in excess of average. Now, is this the same as what we've been talking about in this podcast? Perhaps not. But what happens in the next 20 years when gene technology advances even further? I mean, some scientists have already suggested that we're living in what's called the post-human era. And finally, we must remember that whenever there are superheroes, there's always villains. And on that note, I'd like to thank everybody for listening.